Hey everyone, this is Arnold with Warm Welcome, a show where we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants here in New York City. For episode seven, we've invited Nicole Ponseca. So Nicole is the restaurateur of Jeepney and Marhalika here in New York City. She's also written a fantastic book called I Am Filipino, which really captures her two restaurants, her, her journey, as well as kind of capturing the diverse cuisine that is Filipino cuisine. That being said, for this episode, where he wanted to dive into her origin story to begin, where she grew up in San Diego with a military dad and a registered nurse as a mom, which is a story apparently that is uh, very familiar to a lot of Filipino Americans. So without further ado, this is Nicole Ponseca of Marhalika and Jeepney. It's not very different than a lot of Filipino Americans, I should say, if you know anything about the migration story of Filipinos in the United States, or if you just pull 10 Filipinos, I would say 60%, six yeah. out of 10 are going to have the similar story. Father's in the military, military. mother is a nurse. And um, from that, they gained citizenship, they gained access to America, immigration. So everywhere I go, if it's Virginia, Chicago, I mean, you name it, there there's people who are like, resonate with me you know you deal with the traumas of your dad going overseas for months at end and I didn't realize then but I can only now see in hindsight the kind of stress that might have been on my mom to yeah. rear me alone right trusting people to take care of me while she would work yeah uh, 16 hour shifts yeah are you an only child I'm an only child and I don't have uncles and aunties or titas and titos like um, my mom's an only child as well so we really had a very isolated experience my earliest food memory is my dad cooking fried chicken skins or chicharron manok and you know you what happens is everyone's around the table and you hear the clink clack 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 of the of the mahjong tiles as they're shuffling the deck and you know there's laughter it's 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 rip roaring fun and all the kids are usually running around the house or the neighborhood <laughs> or whatever you know we didn't have iPads uh, television wasn't a thing so we would be riding bikes running yeah, around like so sweaty yeah, yeah so active uh, climbing trees and then we would make pit stops back at the table where our parents would feed us or there would be a long table of just food and I can recall running around the mahjong clanging and then my dad saying Niki come here and he he dipped fried chicken skin in vinegar and fed it to me and I was done. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? And I kept coming back. Yeah. And then uh, kare kare, my yeah. dad's uh, oxtail peanut butter stew. And yeah. those resonate so vividly to me that it's instantly transportive. Yeah. And so when we talk about the restaurant experience, that kind of awe or, whoa, what's this flavor bomb or whatever it is, I, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, early on. Yeah. I enjoy that in the restaurant experience. Yeah. yeah. So I guess another interesting angle, though, is like you've also mentioned since you talked about your book in the book, mm -hmm. how you were kind of um, ashamed or embarrassed sometimes where yeah. your friends would come over and your dad's eating with his hands and whatnot. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that experience. There's, too. there's a lot of layers of shame. Um, there was my dad eating with his hands and there was my where was there were my, my there was my teacher. Uh, finally acknowledging a Filipino identity by telling me she saw f someone eat balut 
on Fear, Fear Factor, Factor. Yeah. or Howard Stern uh, talking about Filipinos and uh, eating dog. And then dinagoan, yeah. so which is a blood stew, which I know many other cultures Definitely, have. Definitely, especially in Asian cultures. Right. So I can't speak for you, but uh, in Philippine culture, we would use euphemisms like chocolate stew mm. instead of calling what it is, mm. morcilla or blood pudding. Like those kind of layers to me really uh, catapult the, uh, the characteristic of shame. And m my friends would come over. My dad would eat, want to eat with his hands, very like so casual. And so, what's the word I'm searching for here? It's um, not confident. It's just so natural, mm. so natural for him, for him, mm -hmm. so beautifully natural. Yeah. I would beg my dad, please order McDonald's or, or go pizza, or pizza said, right? anything that would make sense to eat with your hands for wow. sure. Yeah. As we've progressed through her story, I hope you'll remember this, is this specific moment where she felt very ashamed of her dad eating with his hands because it will come back in a, in a big way later on during the episode. But for her next journey, she actually finds herself in advertising. So she pursues advertising as a career initially and decides to study it at the University of San Francisco. You actually studied and pursued advertising at University of San Francisco, right? What prompted you to initially pursue that career path? I really love the impact and the imagery of what advertising was about in, you know, the 60s. Really, yeah. it became political uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, how it veered into fashion with, uh, of course, Benetton. Uh, and hailing into the 60s with the Saatchi brothers and how they would weave something so entertaining, right? I guess this is the genesis of what I'm about. Weave something that's so entertaining, sometimes jarring, sometimes beautiful, mm. lyrical yeah. in the copy, and could get something across that was so substantive. And that has never been lost on me. So I didn't know that you could do that in restaurants. I didn't know that that could be even a facet of what hospitality is. But I thought, I want to be a part of that. Mm. And I loved being a creative. But I didn't know how to be a creative in an Asian household. You know, I could sing, I could dance, I, I excelled at all that. But I didn't think you could do a career. So part of me was still, how can I do something creative and my parents buy into it yeah <laughs> and advertising was 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 key was that for you yeah what were some of your uh, i guess biggest takeaways from the advertising career that you had mm. and were you able to apply any lessons to like your life or your restaurants Ooh, you know i just recently met up with an exec that we were in the same training program at sachi and he brought it up he's like I don't know if they still do the training program, like what we received, in that it was very formative and oh. very um, holistic and a 360-degree look at creatives, at the process of being creative, of working with other people in a team aspect. So if I had to talk to an art director, the copywriters, or the account, exec, account manager, yeah. or the client, or the secretaries. Very collaborative. Very collaborative, very much a process. But the major part for me was a creative brief. Mm -hmm. And for that, I've been able to uh, 
it's the genesis for all projects that I'm part of is uh, putting together a creative brief. So a creative brief is uh, typically a one-pager. It builds upon your objective, your strategy, the demographics and psychographics, the reason to believe that this project is worth, worthwhile, what you want people to come away with. And so I applied that to a front of house. Mm. What is the objective? You should be able to list that in one sentence. Mm. And then the strategies that uh, propel that objective. Who's your audience? It was very clear to me that I needed to do that for Filipino food. Aside from a, the perfect storm of social media, a void in Filipino food, and uh, I'd say the advent of, and romanticism of food. Right. You know, and Filipinos being one of the last of the Asian sisters being recognized. Yeah. The creative brief really was the nail in the coffin for me to be able to push it forward. Wow. So after attending college for advertising in San Francisco, Nicole actually decided to pursue her advertising career in New York and moved a week after graduation with only $75 in her pocket with no connections, no network, with just the pure intention of advancing her advertising career in New York City. She knew enough about advertising, but uh, she was always very passionate about championing her cuisine, her heritage, and Filipino food. And it is during these moments where she would take out guests and clients to a dinner in New York City, and she was surprised by the lack of Filipino food. There was just no representation of it. So it just so happens that she decides then that maybe she has to be the one adding to the conversation and kind of be at the forefront and in introducing her food and her culture. She also knows that the restaurant industry is very tough. So this is something I respect her a lot for is she decided to do kind of a 180 here and learn from the ground up, meaning she took jobs as a hostess, as a dishwasher, as a busser, as a server, and eventually as a manager. But the reason behind it is, is basically this. I knew enough to know that restaurants had a high failure rate in New York City. 90% of restaurants, 9 out of 10, will fail in year one. And then they fail more and then into year two. So whatever graduates you have from year one don't even make it past year two. And I was, uh, you know, I don't, it's so easy for someone to say scared. I wasn't scared. It was more... Mm, how can I circumvent that? If it's an issue, okay, so let's figure out yeah. how not to fall in that trap. And what I could see was, let me learn this industry, almost like a protege or what, in what was once called an apprentice, as a craft. Restaurants is a craft. And whether that's a fine dining establishment right. or a QSR, I think um, it's no different than shoemaking or um, ceramics, painting. It's an art form, it's a craft. Yeah. So um, I thought, okay, I'll start hosting, a dishwash, bartend, manage, whatever I could do, but respected that there was a hierarchy in different positions, like a sports team or something. Yeah. After gaining a lot of different experiences in different restaurants in New York City, Nicole decides to strike out on her own and start thinking and incubating this idea of a Filipino restaurant. The name she decides upon is Marhalika, which has a few meanings, but also a crazy story kind of attached to it. 
Marhalika started as a pop-up, so she would host people at her Williamsburg apartment to test out the concept and eventually found a pop-up space that she would use for the weekends in the East Village. She bounced around for a little bit too before returning to permanently open in the East Village later on. But this is the story of Marhalika from kind of the beginning to what we know of it today. Uh, Sanskrit for noble work, Maharlika. Wow, and that. then there's another definition that's the warrior class. Yeah. So it depends on who you ask. And I, and, I, and I read somewhere else too. Was it a restaurant that existed in the 1970s or is this? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So Maharlika was the restaurant at the consulate. Oh. Uh, and from all accounts, it was, it was the place to be. Yeah. Was that the inspiration behind the name? Not at all. Oh. That, was a, that was an accident. <laughs> yeah. I went to a printer that was behind the Grace Building. Do you know the Grace Building? Yeah, Okay. Um, in Bryant Park. Yeah, so there's a printer behind them, and uh, behind Grace, and I went to go pick up my first set of business cards. You know, just uh, it, the restaurant wasn't open yet. Yeah. But I wanted to start being serious and uh, present the vision before the the physicality of yeah. it. Yeah. So I could believe it, mm. you know? So that was like the first step, the business card. Yeah, yeah. and then I went... And then the cashier was like, uh, they want to talk to you. The owner wants to talk, whatever, whatever it was at the time. And then I was like, okay, you know, I'm in trouble. The principal is going on. And they pulled out the original matchbooks and the business card. They were the same printer. Get the fuck out of here. No way. Yes, dude. They were the same printer as the original Maharlika. In the 70s, that was awesome. Yeah, rando. Totally rando. Wow. Isn't that awesome? But I love those stories about uh, alchemist and yeah. chemistry and signs. Like, of course, of course, it would be the same printer out of all the but printers in the, New York City. Yeah, wow. And yeah. it was some kid who worked there that worked with um, uh, Chef Miguel and was like, uh, he, he doubled up working part time at this printer shop. And Whoa. Right? It's interesting how these things like this kind of like line up, right? Yeah. Um, so... Before Same with the space, the yeah. Leon space. Right. So <laughs> kind of going into that, it was a pop-up before it was a brick-and-mortar store, and the mm -hmm. first pop-up location was Resto, Resto Leon, Leon yeah. right? And it was a French place, and when it first popped up, it was it was sexy. It was awesome. You know, I don't, I can't recall if McNally had already started, um, but bistros were the jam. Oh, you yeah. know, we were going to Casimir and the East Village and Jules, and there were, it was, uh, I mean, it was a rush for all these French bistros in the East Village, I can say. Yeah. And my boyfriend at the time, Rob, pointed out this restaurant at the time, you know, because I was still in incubation mode, like researching and thinking, yeah. how am I going to do this? And he said, that's your restaurant. I was like, get, get out of here. It's such a cute space. They would never give it up. And he was like, no, no, that's going to be your space. And that must have been... 10, 8 years prior for us even starting the, the pop-up. Yeah. So this is interesting because I think the owner of Esto Leon at the time, though, was also the owner of Juliet, which yes. is where you were the general manager. Yes. Yeah. So is that where the connection was in terms of you convincing? I didn't know that he, he owned oh, really? Leon. <laughs> <laughs> so did you approach that re uh, restaurant, Leon, and, and ask to use that space on, during the... Like, how did that conversation happened so taking the space over? leon was empty saturday and sunday yeah i mean brunch yeah and uh i approached the owner and i said well can i use your space and there was one example prior to this which was 
Griff Dogs and Egg. Wow, the hot Do you dog remember place, Egg? Griff Dogs. Do you know Egg? No. In Williamsburg? It was oh. on North 5th. It, it was, was like a huge brunch place. Yeah, well, they've now opened near Mass Brothers on like North 3rd. Yes, I know it. But it started off... Uh, Egg and Griff Dog shared a space. Oh, really? So one had one in the day and one had one at the night. Nighttime, okay. And so that inspired me mm. uh, because the space was empty on Saturday and Sunday brunch. And so I said, hmm, okay, maybe they might want to make a little extra money, right? So I asked them what their rent was, and then I divided it by 60 because it was two day parts, the evening part and the day part. Mm. So, I don't know, whatever the rent was. And then um, he said, what's Filipino food? You know, and I said, this is what it is. He was, what, what are you going to serve? And by that time, I had already had so much um, years underneath my belt to see what worked at brunch. Mm -hmm. So I could reinterpret the food. In, in, uh, the vehicle was brunch, but the flavors were Filipino. Right. So it could be recognizable for people to come in and enjoy, and yet when they tasted it, they could be transported. Because you, when you're translating a new cuisine, people can get really scared with food. People yeah. are scared. Yeah. They, they, I mean, there's adventures for sure, but there's a lot of people who are like, they're scared to taste something that's weird. It's going to make them sick. I don't know. Uh, me, I'm, I am in the other camp. Like, let's try it. <laughs> yeah. So we don't have the same experience that, say, Koreans do with the storyline of Korean barbecue right. in L.A. Yeah. or New York where there is an inception. Yeah, right. yeah. There's an inception period where people get used to banchan or what to expect. Of course, Filipino restaurants were around, have been around, but we, we don't have that period of transition mm. where it is pure mom and pop mm. queens koreatown and then it goes mass same for i would say mexican food or high-end when it, in the case of cosme where maharlika was attempting to do something that was short shortening the gap yeah. in education there yeah. were restaurants Around, I would go research them. There was Palencia in San Francisco. There was um, Cendrillon in New York. So I don't even, I, I can't claim what we were the first to attempt, but perhaps the first to be able to short distance first gen, second gen America in a, in a way that we did with social media. Too. It was a perfect storm. Yeah. There's, there are too many factors. Yeah. The pop-up started even before the pop-up. Mm. So we would practice At doing the food in my apartment every weekend. And if I knew you liked food, uh, we would uh, invite you over. I set it up like a restaurant. I put my couch as a banquette. <laughs> I took my desk as a, the table. Yeah. Menus, wine, you know, cocktails if oh, I could yeah. to practice. It really was what Malcolm Gladwell refers to as the 10,000 hours you put into wow. it. So by the time we approached Leon. You know, there were still major F-ups along the way, but there was at least a rhythm with Miguel and I working together or, you know, I was working with the staff at yeah. Juliet. They, some of them came on board. To help out. Yeah. Wow. Two years as a, what we'd call private dinner, because that was 
the jam then. And then we started 2011 as what we called limited a limited engagement. engagement. Yeah. You did your research. As you were doing these pop-ups, the, the story goes that someone overheard you guys and offered you <clears throat> the location that you're in now, in the, the brick and mortar location. Like, how did you go from, I guess, the question that maybe a, uh, a lot of people want to know is how did you evolve it from a pop-up into then a brick and mortar location? So we're at Resto Leon for like three months. Mm -hmm. And we go to 5 9th here in the Meatpacking District, not so far, which I think is now yeah. maybe Serafina. I don't Interesting. know what it is. Yeah. yeah. It was right here. And we were there for a few weeks. That taught me about location, that it wasn't ready yet because people would say, uh, I was a host at that time, and people would say, oh, I didn't know peasant food was going to make it in meatpacking. Mm -hmm. And then we opened in one of the shipping containers at Decalb Market, which wow. was owned by uh, Urban Space. Urban Space, yeah. Which now we know has all their markets, but that was their first foray. Mm -hmm. We were in a restaurant called Angelina's on First Avenue. And I'm not quiet, so I, <laughs> you know, any, it doesn't take much to, to <laughs> eavesdrop on me. Yeah. And the owner said, you need a space? And we're like, okay, cool. He's like, I have a space, first and uh, seventh. Yeah. We went on one day, and then we took it over. We did a paint job. We had $10,000, and then took it over from there. Was it a vented space, and was it a restaurant before It was a restaurant, in? yeah. There, it was, uh, I believe it was called Le Trec, hmm. and uh, obvious French, and yeah. the, the, the front of house was littered with uh, paintings. Interesting. And then... Um, they their specialty was offals, believe it or not. Huh. Crazy. We made a lot of money. Yeah. But we paid it toward the rent. Mm. Then we paid the sales tax. We were very honor honorable, though there was no POS. Every ticket, I totaled what the sales were. So we were handing him rent, the total in the sales tax uh, calculated, plus a percentage, because that was his cut. I wasn't so concerned about the details or even at that time really making money, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was really about, I'm here to push Filipino food forward. I'm, I am committed. Yeah, and you want to actualize the... And I need to actualize yeah. this. And yeah. my thought process wasn't about um, profitability. I knew it would be. It was, it, I knew if all the things worked. You're going to make money. At it was going to make yeah. money. But first was what was my intention? What was the objective? What was the creative brief? And ev all decisions in an ad campaign or in, in this regard, a creative project will revert back to your creative brief. And it becomes a litmus test of yes or no, yes or no. It becomes very easy. I, and I would say working with partners, it becomes very easy to make decisions because you have a document that's that you would presumably all agree about mm. what you're about. About, mm -hmm. right, and have that in writing. That's right. The objective was to create a commercially uh, and critically successful Filipino restaurant. It had mm -hmm. to be both. Because mm -hmm. commercial would just mean bodies, but critical would mean that it was uh, respected or regarded or acknowledged by uh, the critics, Yeah. The the critical acclaim. But I, in all my research, I did not pay attention to who the reviewers were. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew when I was working at a French restaurant downtown, I knew of Will Grimes because he gave such a 
shit review of the restaurant I was working on. <laughs> and I became acutely aware uh, of the importance of the New York Times review. Wow, yeah. But I didn't know anything about that. And so even in the business plan, it's not like I said I want to be in the New York Times. I, I, I didn't know any of that. I thought if it's good and we did our job right, all of that would come. Uh -oh. We didn't have PR agent anything. The review comes out, and I don't want to look at it. Yeah. I refuse. Yeah. And Noel, who we were working with at the time, was like, Nicole, you have to read it. I remember them having the paper version. We were sitting at Maharlika at the bar, uh -huh. and I just was like, I don't want to know. Just tell me if it's good. Just tell me if it's good or bad. Good of, or, yeah. I don't care. I don't want to read it. And then, so I think she had um, some comments about one of the dishes. But overall, it was... I read very positively. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Like, I can remember it viscerally, like, my breathing, my smile right now. Like, it's as if I'm right there. Yeah. And uh, it was a very... Um, it was a threshold moment. Yeah. That, okay, we've, we came this far now. Yeah. After receiving a pretty stellar review from the Gaia a food critic with the New York Times, who also happens to be Filipino-American, Nicole gets the opportunity to open up a second concept and restaurant, which is called Jeepney, which turns to be more of a Filipino gastropub. But the timing just didn't really work out in her favor, as when it opened, it would run into the problem of dealing with Hurricane Sandy at the time. And it looked pretty bleak, to be quite frank, for Jeepney. But this is a story of how she was able to turn it around and keep the doors open. We open in October. Yeah. Shit. You know it's going to be a little bit quiet. You're right. going to anticipate there's going to have to be a ramp too. up. Right? Yeah. November hits. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then there's... Like Capture the motion. <laughs> there's December. And... Now we're facing January, and it's on me. I can't look at anyone else. It's yeah. it, The onus is on me to figure out what we're going to do. So go back to the creative brief. Go back to the, the intention. Why am I here? What am I doing? What's the fuck am I here to do? And I remember I'm here to translate a culture and to turn anything that I personally was embarrassed about into something that I could be proud of. It's powerful. So it became Balut. Mm -hmm. It became Dinagoan. And then the last one was, okay, Nikki, go back to Nikki. What were you at age eight? What's going on? Dad, can you please order a burger or a pizza? Uh-huh. Okay. That's it. That's it. So I said, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. I want you to get um, banana leaves. We're going to torch them because I know the oils will come out. And then we're going to figure two things. We're either going to put mounds of rice individually in front of us or we're going to put a river of rice and then uh, place the food on top of it. And you got to understand, the way Kamayan is ultimately interpreted now, it's as if this is what we've been doing for years. This is our... No, it's not. It's my dad on a plate sopping up some rice with sinagang and eating the pork bones and then maybe spitting out the bone and putting it on the plate. It's not this. This idea is a romanticized version of eating kamayan so that it would be a dining experience. Mm. I think it's so powerful though. It's come full circle truly in the sense that you were growing up and you were, there's something that you were ashamed of your own father doing. 
now you see people that are just like on a two month wait to do this. It's mind boggling. Right? It really, it, it's, it's empowering to know truly when you take away any stigma that is put upon you and you own it, you flex, it works. Filipino flex. Yeah, it really, yeah, it really <laughs> works. Nicole, what a pleasure to have you on the show. I had a chance to catch Nicole and my former employer and boss, Will Gadara, as well as Alex Smalls at the first annual New York Times Food Festival a couple days after having this recording session with her. And uh, really, really enjoyed that panel. It was a panel about hospitality, and uh, she, she ventured into a few topics that we talked about as well. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm so proud of what Nicole's been able to do, but I think there's a lesson to be learned here, which is that you shouldn't be ashamed to be who you are, and in a way, you should double down on it, right? Like at the end of the day, if you're opening a restaurant or opening your own business, whatever that may look like, it should look and feel like you. And I think that in a world where maybe there's a lot going on at all times and there's a lot of information out there, the, the thing that you can't fake is yourself, really, and the experiences you have growing up. So really cool, really awesome to see how Marhalagan Jitney has come along this path. And I'm so happy for Nicole, really, for her journey and, and to be able to realize that she can be herself through all of this and actually celebrate that early memory of her dad eating with her hands, which inspired the Kamayan feast that's so popular at Jeepney. So thank you, Nicole, for being on the show. If you haven't been to either restaurants in the East Village, highly, highly recommend. And we'll see you next week on With One Welcome. <laughs>